And Jesus leaves then, and I don't believe for a moment that Jesus is leaving because he feared the Pharisees. In fact, I think in reality, they feared him. They didn't quite understand him. They certainly didn't believe that he was the Messiah, although throughout his life, those three and a half years, he made it abundantly clear that he was the one that the prophets had foretold for hundreds of years, even a few thousand years. Now he is standing before them. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Jesus knew that because of his rising prominence and popularity, there would soon be a confrontation with the religious establishment. Yet Jesus knew that the time was not yet right for a confrontation in Jerusalem, so he returned to Galilee. Although the road through Samaria was the shortest route from Jerusalem to Galilee, the Jews often avoided it. They did so because there was a deep dislike between many of the Jewish people and the Samaritans. It says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. The need wasn't because of travel arrangements or particular necessities, but because there were people there who needed to hear him. Now here's Pastor Rob. If we could open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 4. Hoping to look at the first 26 verses this morning. It's a wonderful chapter. Let me read it and follow along with me if you would. John chapter 4 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that Jesus, or I'm sorry, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city at Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well, or Jacob's well, excuse me, was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would also have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but 
what I shall give him. But whoever drinks of the, of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you truly speak. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Father, we just thank you for this passage this morning. And Lord, there's, there's so much here, God. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, to appropriate those things that we have read and we'll be looking into this morning. And Lord, that you would challenge us and even warn us, Father, of, of, of things that we need to take a look at in our own hearts this morning. And so have your way with us. And Lord, again, you may, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as we looked at that passage, it really highlighted a number of things. Um, the first one is the overcoming of social barriers in order to reach a woman that was lost in her sin. And we will look at that here shortly. It also demonstrates to us the fact that Jesus is omniscient, meaning that he knows all things. He can't learn anything. And I'm really glad for that because if he could learn something, then he's really not worth being to wor- he's really not worth worshiping. Because if God is who he is and who he says he is, that means he knows all things. He didn't he say I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending? Isn't he able to tell history before it happens? Isn't that what we hold in our hands this morning? It is. And that is who he says he is. So Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, the blessed Trinity as we sing in the hymn, he is omniscient. He knows all things. We'll see that as we look into this passage this morning. And also an instruction on true worship, on true worship. And that is a topic that today is very important because worship has turned into something that I believe God never intended it to be. Worship is something that's been redefined like most things in our culture, unfortunately. Isn't it interesting that terms now are being redefined? So many terms are being redefined. Marriage is being redefined. Everything is being redefined. And why does it need to be refined? Well, it suits the natural man. That's, the, that's, that's why. It suits the natural man. If we can redefine marriage to say that it's not just between a husband and a wife, a male and a female in the bonds of marriage, 
If we can redefine it to whatever we want, then we think that we are free. But really, we are in a bondage. And I would agree with you that, or would you agree with me, actually, that we are in a bondage in this country right now. So he's going to be giving her an instruction on what true worship is and also his power to save, which is really the, the highlight of the message today is the fact that Jesus is that gift. The gift of God, the gift of God, not a gift. God does give many gifts, but there's one gift that he has given, which, is, which overwhelms all, of, all other gifts, the gift of his son. The gift of salvation. You know this very well. Jesus, his name is a, is, a, is a contraction. Actually from two Hebrew words, Jehovah Shua, which means God's salvation or God's, you know, God's salvation. And Joshua is the Jewish name that Mary called, that she called Jesus when he was running around the house. She would say, Joshua. Jehovah Shua, God's salvation. He is the gift of God. A gift to all of us. A gift not only of himself. You know, he, not only, you know, his sacrifice on the cross. And, and it's not even so much just the eternal salvation, which is the most important part. Because we live in a very short period of time, don't we? 70, 80, maybe 90 years. Some people really push the envelope and get to 100. Very few of us. We have a short time on this earth, but then eternity, which never ends. It never ends. So I'm thankful for that eternal salvation. That's what he gives us. But even now, within the time frame, this short little blip of time, which almost doesn't even exist in the grand scheme of comparison to eternity, We have such a wonderful time here, even in this short time that we live in Christ on this planet. The life that we live now is better than anything we could have imagined. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me? He has truly been a gift to us. Jesus has been the gift of my life, the greatest gift I could have ever received. And I could never have deserved it. And I know we all feel the same. I could never, we could never deserve such a great and wonderful gift that Jesus Christ is and all that he did. And so it's really important that we grasp this, that he is the gift of God. And I love the fact as we read this passage that he goes out of his way. He goes out of his way from a very busy place. He left Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. He left that area that was bustling with activity. And he decided to go to Galilee, and we'll look at that in a minute, but he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria, but then yet again he did, and we will look at that too. We serve such a wonderful Savior. He is so awesome, and I pray that you fall in love with him more today than you ever have, because it is such good news that we carry. It is such good news that we have, and the gift of salvation is so wonderful. Cherish it, church. Cherish that relationship with Jesus Christ. Foster that relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to do it with you. He wants to foster that with you. But we have to be willing participants, don't we? Sometimes I'm not always a willing participant. He wants to bless you. He says he wants to pour out his blessings on your head in abundance from heaven. I don't know about you, but I want that. I need that. 
in a world of chaos, in a world of hurt and pain, especially as we were coming upon the end of things, I need that. I want him to wash away all my fears. I want him to wash away... All the hurts. Don't you? To wash away all the pain. Let's get into our text this morning. Let's start with verse 1. Notice, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that John, that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. You remember in chapter 3, he was already in Judea. He was in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus, that wonderful dialogue that we had of, of Nicodemus understanding that he needed to be born again. He needed to be born from above. And it says in John chapter 3, 22, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there they remained with them, and they baptized. But now we see in verse 3 here in our text that he leaves this place of Judea, and he departs to Galilee. He departs. And notice what it says here, that therefore when the Lord heard, when he knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus baptized more than John, And Jesus leaves then. And I don't believe for a moment that Jesus is leaving because he feared the Pharisees. In fact, I think in reality, they feared him. They didn't quite understand him. They certainly didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Although throughout his life, those three and a half years, he made it abundantly clear that he was the one that the prophets had foretold for hundreds of years, even a few thousand years. Now he is standing before them. And you know, think of the the reality of that. I mean, these guys really had to search the scriptures. They really had to face some very hard things. You know, there's a part of me that I'm glad I didn't see Jesus while he was on the earth. Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. Because there's something about seeing a man in front of us that we size him up. We do that. It's very, unfortunately, it's very natural. We look at people and we size them up. And I'm so glad that I didn't see Jesus face to face. I'm so glad that I've got the record here that tells me of his glorified state, which is more of a reality of who he really is. Because to see a man dressed the way he was, we would be tempted to look at him as any other man. But he proved to his disciples through many infallible proofs, the Bible tells us, that he was and is the Son of God, that he is Jesus Christ. And so, I don't believe he left because he was in fear, but rather they feared him because Jesus was very much in control of everything before he would ultimately go to Jerusalem and be crucified. He was carefully throttling, if you will, the time that he had. And as his popularity increased, as you know, things become more difficult. People start to throng you, and pretty soon they're all around you, and you're constricted in what you can do. And therefore, I believe Jesus had to leave that place. And this is why I believe the disciples, after his transfiguration that he would say this to them. You remember Jesus was transfigured before them up on the mountain, and they saw Moses and Elijah there with Jesus. And you recall what happened, that it says in verse 9 of Matthew 17, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no man until the sun, until, tell the vision to no man. I would be blabbing it, I'd be posting it on 
Twitter. I'd be doing all these things on Facebook, even putting a photograph of me and Elijah, you know, you know, a selfie. I'd be doing all that. You know, it'd be all over the place. But what did Jesus say? Unusually, he says, tell the vision to no man until, until there's a specific time, guys, that I want you to post it, but not now. I want you to wait until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. He didn't want any restrictions. And the more popular he got, the more restricted he became. So Jesus, I believe, is very wisely trying to keep his mobility to get to the people that he needed to get to and to minister in the way. And he knew exactly what he was doing. Nobody took his life from him. He willingly laid down his life for you and I. He was no martyr. A martyr is caught. A martyr is hung. Because of what they've done, that wasn't the case with Jesus. He willingly, in fact, the Bible says that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew his mission. It was a rescue mission to rescue you and I from our sin and to give us eternal salvation through his blood that was shed. I love that. I love that. Also in Matthew chapter 8, you remember that Jesus healed a leper And the leper came and worshipped him, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put his hand, which was unusual. Nobody touches a leper. It's very contagious. But Jesus touches him and says, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him something interesting. He said, see that you tell no man. Are you kidding me? I I was on death's door. I was condemned to death. I had a disease that there was no cure for. And you heal me and you just want me to keep a lid on it? How is that possible? (laughs) For this man it wasn't because it says, he says, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he broadcasts it, right? Because of his his joy. and, And who can blame him? Who can blame him? But Jesus' hour had not yet come. We're not going to look at all of these scripture references, but there are many of them where Jesus said that his hour had not yet come. And so just like the passage we're looking at right now, he, he leaves Judea, but he must go to, through Samaria. He's going from Judea to Galilee. He's got to go into this middle section of Samaria. He has to go. He's compelled to go there for many reasons. But his hour had not yet come. In John 7, verse 3, Jesus' brothers who came to Christ after his resurrection, James and Jude was one of them. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he sees while he himself seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. And here it is. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Always ready. And many times he spoke in John 7, verse 30. Therefore he sought, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 8, verse 19 and 20, Jesus sparring with the disciples. They said, where is your father? And Jesus says, you don't know my father or me. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. And again, no one laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. But there was a time. 
There was a time, and it wasn't a physical hour like 60 minutes. When the Bible speaks of his hour is not yet come, it's a period of time. It's not a strict 24-hour period in this instance. And we know that because in John chapter 12, this was roughly a week before he would be crucified on the triumphal entry unto Jerusalem. What does it say? But Jesus answered them and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified as he makes his entry into Jerusalem. And even that night before, the night before he would be arrested and crucified, they had Passover. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, the hour of his, certainly of his crucifixion, the, the, the time that he would be going through this turmoil and this great trial, it was coming. But notice it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And I, and I love how the King James Version uh, puts this. In the King James Version it says, he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs Go through Samaria. And I love this because right here, if you look on, the, on, a, on a map, right to the west of the very northern tip of the Dead Sea, there's Jerusalem. And so the normal thing to go from here to Galilee, he has to go through an area right in the middle called Samaria. And most of the Jews would actually go to the west, or I'm sorry, to the east, across the Jordan River in an area called Perea, and go all the way up the, the side of the Jordan River, and then cross over somewhere up here to get into Galilee. And we'll look at that. And it was because of bigotry. Bigotry. But Jesus confounds everybody and goes straight into Samaria because the the shortest distance between two lines or between two points is a straight line, right? Jesus is very logical. He's not hung up on all of these labels and all of these things that people might do. He is not hung up. He was not a prejudiced man. He was not a bigot. So Jesus was going to leave, uh, and the obvious route was straight. And... Um, but the shortest route is just to go straight through. So why did he need to go through Samaria? Why did he need? He could have went around and crossed east like we looked at and went up and then over into Galilee. Well, the simple answer to that question is there was not only a woman there who needed salvation, but there was also an entire village of people that Jesus knew they were hungry for the truth and no one would touch them. No one would minister to them because they were considered half-breeds. They were looked down upon because of their, they had roots in pagan idolatry. And we'll look at that this morning too. But it says in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and what? Save that which was lost. He's, he, he breaks all the boundaries. And that's what I love about Jesus. He breaks all the boundaries. When you try to confine him into a box and say, well, you can't go minister to that people because do you know what they did? He's like, oh, I know what they did. And it's because of what they did that I need to go to them. It's so different from the way we think. God has a heart of compassion and love. And the world, we can get so, the world, the people in the world can get so ugly and so prejudiced and so bigoted. And we see it all around.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.